Your company's future success demands agile, flexible, and resilient operations. I'm your host, Daphne Luchtenberg, and you're listening to McKinsey Talks Operations, a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover how to create a new operational reality. I'm joined today by Paul Humphrey, CEO and founder of Call Journey, a global thought leader in conversation intelligence and speech analytics. He has more than 30 years of experience across multiple industries. And Eric Biesing, a McKinsey partner and a leader in our customer care service line. We're continuing our previous discussion about technologies that help natural language processing and natural language understanding, NLP and NLU. In our last episode, we discussed the technology and its potential in contact centers. Today, I'd like to explore more about the implementation and how to actually capture the value that's available. Let's go beyond the contact center application and take a look at the wider business and where voice data analytics can add value. Paul, it strikes me that technology, of course, is fundamental to all of this. How should people be thinking about their technology, their technology stack to actually ensure that they've got the right tools in place? It's really a mindset, and that mindset is thinking about the interactions that are being had every day, every moment with customers. And we've shifted from the terminology of call center. If we go back, you know, probably 10 years ago, it was known as call center because most of those interactions were voice and you you would call into the call center. And that's changed now to contact center because folks want to liaise with their supplier on all different channels, on all different facets moving with how they move. So they may call, as Eric was saying, they may have a digital interaction. Maybe it's an SMS, maybe it's a chat. Personal experience just today, I'm moving house, so I had to contact my different providers. So I was online with some doing a chat, then I shifted to voice and back to chat again. So organisations, A, have to have technology to manage all of those different interaction points. But B, they also need to be smart enough and intelligent enough to then manage that customer journey regardless of where and how that person interacts with that organisation. So, again, back to the potentially my example there today of liaising with a telecommunications provider, I was online, then I was offline, but my whole journey is still, in my mind, shifting house and moving house, right? So... The, the smart and the technology and the data insights to help deliver that full omni-channel journey, understand where the customers are at in that journey. And we know organizations are smart enough to even get to things like episodic NPS, so understanding where different cohorts are at different journeys and different episodes of that journey delivers different NPS, etc. So it's really having the right technology to manage multiple omni-channel interactions, but then also the right approach and what we call, I guess, augmentation and um, harmonisation of data. And so that harmonisation is super important to getting better insights into the customers because um, you may need different data points. Eric gave an example earlier about organizations, for example, trying to drive improved, let's say, revenue performance. So they'll go and find their top performing agents and work out how they're interacting with a customer, learn from that, replicate it, and then deliver that into the organization. Now, the big risk there 
is if they're not taking all sorts of different data points into consideration, then you could be delivering a bad experience for the customer, creating the wrong type of culture, for example, right? In fact, we did some work recently where an organisation had exactly that same challenge that, that Eric mentioned before, and they were in the insurance sector. And the question that I asked them was, do you have a separate policy administration system which determines the product and the service that that customer has? And they said, yes, we do. And I said, do you track things like LAPS, which is in an insurance world, that customer chose an insurance product, but they left very quickly after that initial, you know, coming online and, and selecting a new product or a service, right? So how quickly do people lapse? How often do they lapse? And in what period are they lapsing after that sales event? Was that sales event done by an in-house contact center? Was it done by an outsourced partner? So all of these things start to determine, was that a good interaction? So you might have a high-performing salesperson who's delivering lots of revenue, closing lots of sales, but if all of those sales are lapsing, for example, three to six months afterwards, then that doesn't necessarily mean it's a great experience, doesn't necessarily mean it's what you really want to be delivering. So, again, augmenting all sorts of data, which would be the interaction data plus policy and administration data and journey data, now gives you a much better feel for what an ideal customer experience would look like at that point of acquisition and at that point of customer journey. Yeah, very clear. Thanks, Paul. Eric, that strikes me that that also means that, you know, teams have to work together in a completely different way, right? So there's operating model implications here too, would you say? I, I like the term that Paul used is harmonization of data. And you know, I think organizations are, are looking all the time on how they do that. And one thing they're, they're recognizing is that the contact center doesn't operate in an isolated way. In fact, most organizations are, are actually a bit siloed in their thinking, but that's not how customers transact. Customers don't think, well, now I'm interacting with your, you know, your app. That's different from you know, speaking with a, a voice assistant bot versus different from speaking with somebody in collections, which is different from speaking you know, with somebody in servicing. They, they think of, I have a problem and, and I'm trying to get it resolved. And that's requiring organizations to, in some ways, break down those silos and think about a customer interaction not a transaction in one channel. That's the operating model change, I think. Fantastic. It feels like we're only scratching the surface, Eric and Paul. You've shared so many fascinating insights, but let's get down to some practical steps for our audience. What advice would you give to leaders who are on their journey, perhaps quite well equipped with NLP and just starting to experiment with NLU? How should they be thinking about bringing machine learning into it to really make themselves into a mature organization? What advice would you have for them? My first advice, which is the first and foremost advice I almost give every one of our clients, is don't boil the ocean. There's always a need to go and do a whole heap of things first. And the great thing, I guess, with interaction analytics and insights that we can deliver is that there are so many different fish that you can catch. There's so many different use cases, as Eric was saying before. I'd also say... Um, be very clear about specific use cases, right? So have clear outcomes, measures of success that you're looking to achieve. Commit to systematic processes to underpin that activity. And then also you really need to ensure that you have 
effective commitment of resources to give the opportunity life, give the project life, etc., and always be remembering that you can't expect what you can't inspect, right? So AI advanced analytics, it's not just a shiny, sexy tool. It should really become part of your DNA. And then I always think in five pillars for best outcomes. And pillar one, we talked about this before, and if you could see me now, I'm holding my hands together in a praying situation and I'm saying, please, please, please um, homogenise and harmonise your data, okay, both human intelligence, artificial intelligence and multiple data sources. And don't forget your biggest channel still likely is voice, right? But make sure you're adding your voice data and other interaction data to that central data repository you've got for that true holistic view you absolutely should need. That's point one. Point two is don't fear what you might find, okay? Embrace the opportunity to get more clear and concise insights. Point three, lean on experts and thought leaders, Organisations don't know all the solutions, but if it's done properly and efficiently and effectively, you will reap huge business performance benefits from interaction intelligence. Point four, make it an ongoing part of your organisational DNA to interrogate and understand both your CX and EX insights. But again, of course, you need to do that through the right data sources and the right structure. So create closed loop, ongoing operating rhythms, constantly checking and rechecking, constantly testing, constantly measuring against the appropriate benchmarks. And then lastly, utilize thought leaders and experts to A, give you a deep dive based stake in the ground assessment of your current state. So don't leap into a reasonable transformation change if you haven't done a check as to where we sit right now. So external benchmarking and deep dive is always a great way to start to get a true assessment of where you sit, how you are against world's best practice, against different sorts of benchmarking. Wow, that's a really clear um, kind of step-by-step pointers there, Paul. Thanks so much. Eric, maybe if you were to take more kind of a philosophical approach, what is the mindset that leaders should be adopting as they try and move to better in this space? I have a client that uses the phrase, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. I really like that. Um, and, and I think it applies here in this context. Data is never perfect. It's never going to be as connected as it could be. The architecture of the environment is never going to be fully ready. There's always capacity constraints. But I think great organizations are asking questions around what would it take to get started sooner versus what needs to be in place before we can begin. And so, you know, the first piece of advice is maybe start small. Pick one queue, one area to test these capabilities and actually begin building the muscle because you'll learn a lot around how your organization operates as you asked in the last question. What are the risks? What are the failure points? So that when you are ready to scale, if you ever reach that point where you're truly ready, uh, you'll scale faster. I think maybe the, the second philosophical question to answer is, is um, do we really understand the problem or are we looking to apply a solution? Um, and, and I think the former is, is the right approach. You know, advanced analytics, AI, even NLP, NLU, these 
and sometimes are, are buzzwords that get thrown around. And I think a lot of people don't fully understand what they are, but they're buying on a promise. And often, you know, you, you end up getting disappointed. So spend the time up front, do a diagnostic, understand what your customers care about, how they transact, simultaneously do a diagnostic of your contact centers. That's, as Paul mentioned, across voice, email, text, even video conferencing. That's the next, you know, the next frontier of understanding, you know, interactions and bring those two together to see where do we have a problem um, and how, you know, does NLU and maybe by the way, where do we not need something as sophisticated as NLP and NLU, but where could, you know, could technology like this really help us tackle as I've mentioned before, you know, an unwieldy amount of data. And then I think the third and, and final piece is, you know, yes, start small, but know that you're building a foundation for, for much more than the contact center. These capabilities are being perfected there, but they're ripe to be transplanted to other parts of your organization, like marketing and sales or product. So, you know, NOU and the contact center can actually help you answer questions like, are we reaching the right customers in the right channels? You know, where did this customer actually come here from? Um, are there any warning indicators about product features that we need to know about? Or we didn't realize that there's a particular feature that's unique and important to customers. We should be highlighting that more. And even, and this is a unique one that we learned in, in the telco industry, but competitive intelligence. What are customers saying they're being offered from other organizations? That's also unique insight. So, you know, thinking that, you know, this capability might be being built specifically in contact centers, but it has broad applicability across the rest of your organization. And, and I think that's something to consider as well. Wow, Eric, thank you. That's such a powerful thought, right? Which is that this is at the forefront. It's already adding value immediately at the core and the heart of the organization, but there's so much more value that can be reaped. Paul, um, um, just a question for you. So we've been talking about the application of these technologies and this approach in the contact center environment, but I imagine there are many other applications in the longer term across the organization value chain, no? Yeah, absolutely. I think, Daphne, in fact, I think one of the biggest trends that we've seen in the last, I'd say, probably 12 to 18 months is that smarter organizations are, are utilizing those things we were talking about earlier, NLP, NLU, machine learning, and solutions, you know, in the realms of speech analytics for business performance and benefit outside of the contact center. So not just serving the contact center, which is where the bastion, if you like, of speech analytics has often lived, but now using that data to serve businesses, uh, business units really outside the contact center is where we're seeing the trend, right? The important thing to note, though, is that the contact center interactions are the source of the data and the deliverer of those insights. In fact, we've got a saying now, and that saying is that voice data has many interested parties. Um, we're saying, we're starting to see regular adoption of that interactive intelligence by marketing, for example, to drive deeper, more effective personalization, customer journey experience through better real lived data. Um, we're seeing areas like the revenue part of the business use interaction intelligence to understand uh, share of wallet, churn drivers, retention opportunities, how to improve conversion rates. So for all, any organization, even like a you know three to five percent improvement in conversion rates through better revenue intelligence from those interactions has mind-blowing impacts on revenue. We also, and, and I think Eric was touching base on this earlier, we also see that CX shift from relying wholly on post-call surveys 
for customer intelligence to now having predictive NPS and customer prediction of next best offer, for example, from every interaction, because you now can do that with scale and AI. And then we're seeing areas like general counsel, risk and governance folks turning to conversation intelligence to deliver better compliance, better risk and governance assessment, again, on every interaction. So they don't want to leave anything to chance and they don't want to just leave it to HI or human intelligence. Now, lastly, and I think this is really extremely interesting at an innovation level, particularly around our current sort of global climate around employee health and wellbeing and employee engagement, and and Eric sort of touched on this earlier. So what we now now know, for example, is that DEI is on page one of every Fortune 500's annual report. And we know, for example, that thousands of CEOs have pledged commitment to true workplace foundations of equity, diversity and inclusion through a group called CEO Action. And we also know that almost every CEO or HR global leader is striving to create and enjoy the benefits of a psychologically safe workplace. Now, I didn't know this until recently, but the person who coined that phrase psychologically safe culture is Professor Amy Edmondson, and she's a professor from Harvard Management Business School. Her studies show a huge correlation between psychological safety and high performance. And when an organisation is able to create that culture where it's safe to express ideas, ask questions, admit mistakes, staff are retained for longer, productivity is supercharged, and true self-empowerment happens. So why am I mentioning this? With the increase now of the use of unified comms tools or UCAS, such as Teams, Zoom, WebEx, BlueJeans, etc., we collectively as a race of humans, if you like, are spending infinitely more time communicating with each other through those tools. And in fact, if you look at just the US in one day alone, organisations with plus 500 staff, 132 million hours of Teams conversations happen every day in the US. That's every day, right? So now imagine a world where you could harness all of those rich conversations and deliver real lived experience insights to employees for their own self-empowerment. Help them understand their well-being, their mental health, how diverse and inclusive they are, whether they've got unconscious bias, how they best engage in work from home or hybrid settings, and then also imagine a world where the employers could understand the true lived experience of their employee and where they should actually put their investment of time for organisational transformation or cultural change or well-being. All of that anonymised and aggregated, of course, for the employee. And that's now what we can do with advanced NLP, NLU, machine learning, combined with high-powered people science, right? So effectively, smart organisations need to realise and realise quickly that interactions are rich with insights for both CX and EX. And again, back to that same point I said earlier, ultimately it's about finding the right partner and thought leader to embrace that 
and realise those vast opportunities available in both of those areas. Got it. Love that. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, Paul. I suspect if we had another hour and a half, we could um, really dive deeper. But um, I'm, I'm hoping that um, our listeners have been able to get a really good first picture of the opportunity and this exciting new world of NLP and NLU and really understanding what our customers want. Thanks so much to both of you. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you, Daphne. Thank you for your time today. You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Daphne Luchtenberg. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'll be back with a brand new episode in a couple of weeks.